So once again, welcome. I'm so glad that you are all here today. Um, I know we have a bunch of people online as well, and, and I guess this is like last vacation-ish type week before, you know, what season starts and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, just want to welcome you guys. And my name is Pastor Chris. I'm the pastor here at Table Life Church. So it's your first time with us or you've been with us a long while. Uh, I want to make sure that you feel welcome uh, today. So um, we're in this series. Actually, this will um, end on Labor Day. So stick with us through then. But we've been in this series um, through July and August uh, called Brain Games, where we've been talking about the intersection of faith and mental health and how it's a real thing, and it's not just like there's certain things that you can just pray away and it'll go away, but that faith and mental health are two important factors, and they both intersect. And, um, and while there are times that, hey, God may bring healing in a certain area, there are other, other times that maybe God is working through people like physicians and therapists and medications and that kind of thing. But anyway, we've been talking about that in this series. But today I want to start out with an important question that will kind of frame what we're, where we're going today. And that question is, what do you say when you talk to yourself? What do you say? Because you do. You talk to yourself. I talk to myself. Everybody does. But, but what do you say? Um, and I'm not, I'm not talking in this regard about normal stuff. Normal stuff like don't forget the milk, you know, that kind of thing. Or don't forget to pick the kids up because you remember what happened last time, you know. Not those types of things. But, um, but kind of like the ongoing self-talk. Like what, is it, what are things that you say like over and over and over again to yourself in your head? So, so for example, um, just to give some examples here, when you're driving on 83 in traffic, you probably are not thinking, oh, praise God for all those amazing good drivers. It's probably not something that you're thinking. Instead, you're thinking, what are these idiots on the road? Where do they learn to drive, right? Or in the morning, you get up, you wake up, and what do you think, what goes through your mind? My head is spinning already, right? Have you ever done that? Like your head is spinning already, you haven't gotten out of bed. Or at night, you're like, I didn't get anything done today. Like nothing, absolutely nothing. I'm just frustrated. Or, or maybe, maybe in context of relationships, um, you, you might think to yourself, I can't trust anybody in this world, right? Those things cross your mind. Or, or maybe, maybe during the course of your day, you do something wrong, you make a mistake, you mess up, you say the wrong thing. And then what do you tell yourself? You're an idiot. You can't do anything right. You never do anything right. You just messed up once again and again and again. You said the wrong thing. I can't believe it, right? So, so what is it? What, what do you say to yourself? What do you say to yourself when you talk to yourself? Uh, and so you might ask, well, well, why ask that question? Well, um, what you say to yourself matters more than you may think. What you say to yourself matters more than you may think. And there's a scripture from the book of Proverbs, all these little sayings in the book of Proverbs, from Proverbs 4.23, which says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Mm. Mm, very, very pithy, very truthful there. Um, and, and actually, um, believe it or not, scientists have a word uh, or a, a, a name for this very idea about how your life is shaped by your thoughts, and they call it uh, the law of cognition, the law of cognition. Basically, just saying that what you think impacts what you believe, and what you believe impacts what you do. And so, so basically, life tends to move in the direction of your strongest thoughts, if life moves in the direction of your th strongest thoughts, that means we need to be careful about how we think. Um, and there's a quote, it's attributed to multiple people, but it says this, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. 
It's very true. And I, I like that. But, but what I don't like is that some of us, though, are, have been talking ourselves into a life that we absolutely hate or a life that is wrong in every way. I mean, most of us would agree that the world is full of negativity. We can look around, and, and, and the thing is, negativity can be a very addicting thing. Um, and so chronic negativity is, it's not just a practical problem, though, and that's what I want to talk about today. It's not just a practical problem, but it's also a spiritual one. It's a spiritual one. And so maybe there's somebody in your life that, that you're like, they should be here to hear this message. The good news is it's online, you can share it. But I know that, that it, sometimes we think of others, but oftentimes it's really thinking about us and ourselves. Um, and so today I want to give you a couple of foundational thoughts as, as we um, talk about this idea of chronic negativity. Um, and, and two thoughts that I'm going to come back to multiple times today are this. First, your thoughts have incredible power. And second, you have incredible power over your thoughts. They're both true. They're both true at the same time. The good news is that you are not a victim of your thoughts. And that's because God helps us. God helps us. And so the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament scriptures, he said this in Romans, his letter to the Romans in chapter 8, verses 5 to 6. I want us to read this together today. Can you guys do that? Okay, so he says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So, so let's just unpack this. So he talks about these two comparisons. So what does he mean when he's talking about flesh? Well, he's not talking about like skin or like the flesh wound. You know, some of you guys are, are into that stuff. But anyway, it's the Greek word sarka, and it actually means like a bent nature or a sinful nature, or you say like a broken nature that, that's inside of us. And, and he's saying that those who live according to that uh, allow broken things into our minds. That those, when we're following those types of things, that we live, live and allow broken things to come to our minds. But the good news is that those whose minds are set on the Spirit and set on, on God, it, it live as the Spirit desires. Once again, going back to that, what you think is often what you do and where the direction that you go. And how does that impact us? Well, going back to verse 6, verse 6 tells us that in the Spirit, it gives us life and peace. Isn't that something that we all want? I mean, just like a life of negativity versus a life of life and peace. I mean, there's, a, there's an old saying that goes like, you are what you eat. Ever, ever heard that before? You are what you eat. But I also believe that it's true that you live what you think. You live what you think. And when it comes to negativity, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's a serious question. You live what you think. Um, I, I want to explore today some uh, good questions to ask about that. And we're going to turn to a story in Scripture to kind of address that in just a little bit. But um, the first thing I want to talk about, though, is why? Why is negativity so toxic and addictive? You know, why does negativity hurt you, your family, your relationships, your outlook, your life? Um, the second things I want us to explore once again, this is not a message for somebody else, but for you, for me. But what's a specific area 
of negativity in your own mind that is a challenge for you. Um, so what is that specific thing for you? And then the third is, well, how can God help us change that towards, towards life and peace? How can God help? So, um, so the first thing, why is negativity so toxic and addictive? Well, oh, I think it's because what we have, and this is confirmed by science, but we have what's called a negativity bias. A negativity bias. Basically, we lean towards what is negative. We have an inclination to go towards what's negative. And, and different neuroscientists, they, they say that like uh, negative events imprint on our brain um, quicker and they actually linger longer than positive things. And, and you know this, you can think of different examples in your life, you know. I mean, think about what spreads faster on social media and on your favorite news app, something positive or negative? Negative, right? right. The, the murder over the guy who saved the puppies, right? The murder is going to be like it, however many hits. The guy who saved the puppies, ah, eh, you know, who cares about that? Reporters actually say this. They say, if it bleeds, it leads, you know. Uh, but a second example, you know, imagine like personally, right? Like maybe you have to do a presentation at work or you have a certain job to do. And, um, and you do that, you've been scared about, we talked about anxiety a couple weeks ago, you were anxious about it. You go ahead and you, you do that presentation and afterwards, four people come up to you and they say, wow, like, 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 like wow, Lewis, like, like, wow, Sarah, like, that was just amazing. You did an amazing job. You hit the nail on the head. I can't believe you, you, you just really shared from the heart there. Four people say things like that to you, and then you have one person. One person that then comes up to you and, or sends an email, right, or a text message. That's often, you know, and, and one person says, I think you should have been a little bit more prepared for that, or I don't believe those things that you were saying in that way. And imagine, so four people just were like, wow, that was amazing. And then one person, like, you blew it. That was awful. And then you go home that night, and then you tell your spouse or you talk to your parents or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your, your mom, your uh, a friend. And, and what do you tell them? I bombed it, right? One person said one bad thing. You focus on one thing that somebody said, and you say, I bombed it. I don't, you forgot the four positive things that people said. And immediately you go to the one thing that stood out, which was what? The negative thing. And that's what happens is, is chronic negativity. It sends us into that constant state of fight or flight. And, and, and we're wired this way. That, that God designed our brains as a means of protection. There's this actually chemical called cortisol that uh, is released in, in stressful and negative situations. And it actually is very helpful. It's a helpful thing. It makes you more alert and focused, and, and you're ready to actually deal with the problem that's in front of you. Um, and, and so it's really good until it's not, just like a lot of things in life. It's good until it's not, because when you're chronically negative, this, this cortisol keeps going off and off and off, and, and so you constantly feel in danger. You constantly feel threatened. You constantly think is everything around you as a threat, and, and, and what happens is it kills something inside you. I mean, I think it goes back to what Paul was saying there. Like, there's result in death. When your mind is set on things of that, that, that are draining, that are, that are negative, it pulls you in that direction. And so what happens is when, when the only thing that you hear online is negative, when the only thing that you hear your friends say or your coworkers say is negative, when what you tell yourself is negative, it actually creates those negative neural pathways in your brain, and negativity becomes a habit, a habit. And, and basically, you say something like this. This is how I sum it up. Okay, so this is in, this is in the, the Chris Beckert version. 
KBV. Um, All things are bad and going to get worse. Everybody will let you down. Everybody's a loser. All Christians, all churches are like this. Life stinks. Things are never going to change. I'm never going to be happy. I'm never going to get what I want. Everybody's evil. I should just go hide or quit this whole thing together. Right? That's what happens. Those things happen. They add up. And it's just like eventually, like you just go there. Maybe those words have actually come out of your mouth. They have for me. And you're just like, oh, that's just, just awful. And that becomes your default posture. But guess what, guys? It results in the death of everything. I mean, think about that. The joy of life, the peace of life, the blessings of life that are like right in front of your nose, you miss all of it because it's so focused on the negative. And so what does that mean? It means that the news we consume, the shows we watch, the lyrics of the music that we play over and over, the people we spend the most time with, the social media we consume, it it all kind of creates inner scripts that direct our lives because thoughts have incredible power, but you have incredible power over your thoughts. And that's why I think it's important for us to recognize. That's the second part here. Recognize where you're most prone to negativity. So where are you most prone? By the way, this is a very uplifting message today. We're going to end on a high note. Don't worry. It's only up. Only things go up from here. So this is not meant to be like the most depressing thing. But, but let's look first. Like, where, where are you most prone? Where are you personally most prone? Um, because we all do. But, but the thing is, just like we, I think we talked about last week or was the, the week before, you can't defeat what you don't define. You can't defeat or combat what you don't define. And so I kind of put these into four categories. There's more. There's more categories of negativity. But, but maybe you can personally connect with one of these. So first category of negativity is what's called relational cynicism. Relational cynicism. It's basically a general distrust for people and their motives. That, that you begin to think everyone is out for themselves. Everybody does things to hurt you, and all people are that way. And what's really interesting about this one, I did a little research on this, um, is that, that according to scientists, this kind of cynicism is actually a reflection of how you feel about yourself. Mm. That, that means when you distrust people or their motives, you know, once again, this is a chronic thing, it means that it shows that you don't always like your own motives. You don't always trust yourself. You know, it's very interesting. We don't have time to go into that, but it's just kind of an interesting fact. So relational cynicism. The second piece is called negative filtering. That's another kind of, of um, negativity, is negative filtering. Basically, you only see what's wrong. You only see what's wrong. You find the worst things to point out. You overlook, once again, you overlook the four good things, and you look only at the one. You assume the worst possible outcome for everything. I mean, it's just like somebody's running late. They're supposed to meet you, and you think, oh, my gosh, they were in an accident. Something happened to them, right? Or, or the other line, they hate me and they just don't want to be with me and they're making excuses and they're not my friend, even though the last 18 times those things were not true. Maybe they're just late, you know? Um, or, or negative filtering shows itself when a friend texts you, you text them back and then they don't respond for two hours, right? You're like, what happened, right? You think they're mad. Or, or you go on vacation, you go on vacation, and maybe it's a pretty snazzy vacation. And what happens? The only thing you focus on are all the things that are wrong with the vacation, right? You're in paradise, and you're like, no, this is wrong, and like, this is dirty, or this is awful, or like the only, you know, you're like, you're on vacation, like, be happy, right? Or, or maybe you go to every restaurant, every restaurant you go to, there's something wrong. The food isn't right, they were, they didn't take my order in time. Or, or you meet a person maybe the first time, you meet people the first time, and all you see are the things that are wrong with them, 
all the wrong things because you know, right? You know what's wrong with them. Um, or you go to a church and you know, and, and you see only what's wrong with the church or only what's wrong with these folks, you know. And that's that's kind of negative filtering. You're seeing the wrong over the right, focusing on the negative. Um, the third piece. Anybody connecting with these, by the way? I, I hope so. I am. Um, but absolute thinking. Third is absolute thinking. Polarized thoughts mainly. So it's kind of an all-or-nothing approach, like black or white. It means that if a man hurts you, all men are bad. It means if a woman lied to you, all women are liars. It means all Republicans, all Democrats, all teenagers, they one messed up or they one said this, and I just dismiss all of them. Uh, or, and even absolute thinking kind of trickles personally. Uh, it, when you make a mistake, you constantly call yourself stupid. Stupid idiot, you know, maybe. And maybe you're told that from somebody you trusted in your childhood. That maybe you call yourself stupid. Or, or if you disagree with someone about one issue, like you write the whole person off. You know, it's absolute thinking. And, and the thing is with absolute thinking is most of the time it's there and we don't see it. We don't see it. And sometimes, you know, and you know people like this, that, that maybe act like a jerk or are mean to people um, because they're always right about something. They can never be wrong and they can never let it go. And Jesus actually had a term for for this kind of thinking, kind of self-righteous, self-righteous thinking. Um, and so we'll save that topic for another sermon to preach on. But um, but that's absolute thinking. It's kind of that polarized thoughts. But then the fourth and last but not least is blaming, meaning that, that you believe in every circumstance. Once again, this is a chronic thing. This is not a one-time thing. But believing you are always the victim again and again and again. And the reason why you are the way you are is because everybody else did it to you. Um, they got in your way, they took your toy, they didn't give you a chance, that you're 100% a victim of your life and circumstance. And once again, this is not saying that there are times that you are a victim. It's not dismissing that at all, but this is a kind of a constant thing. And, and the symptoms of that, like you're constantly jealous or you're critical or you're discontent, you're looking at everybody else and you're saying, well, they had it a lot better and I didn't, and so that's the reason. Um, so, so just, just pause there. So relational cynicism, negative filtering, absolute thinking, blaming, just want to like that set the stage. So now that you know what's wrong with you, we need to ask, <laughs> right? Now that I know what's wrong with me, right? We need to ask though, can you change? Can you change? Like, is change possible? Can people shift? Can people change? Um, the good news is that Jesus promises us life and life abundantly, and we can live into that. The answer is yes. It's yes, but there's a caveat there, but it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, and so I, I'm going to share just an interesting study with you, and then we're going to get to a scripture. Um, an interesting study that, that people were shown a new surgical procedure, and they basically took two groups, and they presented each group with different odds about success versus failure on the procedure. And then at the end, after sharing the odds, they asked them, can you make a judgment whether this is a good procedure or a bad procedure. So they gave them odds on the procedure and they had them choose, do you think this is a good procedure? Would you do it? Or is this a bad procedure? So they go to the first group and they told them that this procedure has a 70% chance of success. A 70% chance of success. The other group, then changed numbers, the other group they told, you know what, this procedure has a 30% chance of failure. Right? Same thing, like really same odds, but they communicated 70% success to one group, 30% chance of failure to the other group. And so uh, what did they say? What were the responses of the group? 
Well, you can probably guess the first group that said 70% success said, this is probably a good procedure. And the group that said 30% chance of failure, they said, this is probably a bad procedure. And that's something that you might expect. But then the researchers wanted to determine and wanted to ask, could they switch? Could they switch if they simply changed their narrative, if they simply changed what they were presented with? So what they did, they went to the first group and they told them, well, we're glad that we're glad, this group that they told, 70% success rate, and they all gave thumbs up. They said, well, we were glad that you think it's a good surgery, but, but we want to also share with you the other side of it. And they told them, it also has a 30% chance failure rate. Uh, do you think that it's still good? And so what happened was the majority of the group that first said this is probably a good procedure, they probably started doubting themselves and said, no, now that you say it that way, it's probably bad. It's probably bad. But then, then they went to the other group that said the failure rate is 30%, and they told them, hey, we want to share with you a little bit more information. We want to share, but 70% of the cases are successful with this. And so they presented them with that question, do you think it's, what, what do you think about the procedure now? And guess what they all said? It's still bad. They all said it's still bad, right? Isn't that interesting? You know, what does that show? That changing from negative to positive is not natural and it's not gonna happen by itself. That, that I, and this is where our, our spiritual side of things comes in, that I believe we need spiritual and supernatural help from God as well as some work on our end to change that narrative, to change that perspective. And, and this matters so much because, because our thoughts are more powerful than you think. And of course, going back to that thought, you have more power over your thoughts than you think. So how do you do that? Well, we're looking at a story real quick about um, the mind of, of David, the mind of David. King David in the Old Testament scriptures is a scripture from 1 Samuel 30. <clears throat> and I, let me just set the context before we read this, um, but, but you know King David, uh, King David, David and Goliath when he was a boy, you know, he strikes the, the giant dead, and then he goes on to become the king of Israel. Well, uh, king, king David, he's involved with a lot of battles, and there's a, a, a story in 1 Samuel 30 where David and his troops are coming home from a battle, and, um, and the context of this story is a very, very bad day. Anybody ever read the kids' book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day? Um, anyway, go back to that sometimes, but this is probably that on steroids, talk about a bad day. However your week has been, David's, I can guarantee, was probably a lot worse. So he comes home from battle with his people, and they discover, they go home, and what do they discover? That the enemy has basically burned down their entire town, burned their homes, and not only that, but their families have been taken away. You, you just couldn't think it's going to get any worse until David's there and David's men blame him for doing that. Blame him for why they've lost everything. And so what do they do? They plot to kill him. Like I said, this is a very, very bad day. So the scripture says this, starting in verse 3. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives, two wives, had been captured. Ahohanim of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. Um, 
That was in the New International Version. Let me read that to you in the, I don't do this often, but in the King James Version, it says this, David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Same scripture, David encouraged himself, just put a little bit a different way. So just think about that. In a world of chronic negativity, maybe it's time to encourage yourself in the Lord. Once again, the direction of your thoughts determine the, often the direction of your steps. And how did he, think about it, how did he encourage himself in the Lord? Um, what did David actually say? You know, what is the secret sauce? What are the words we should say? We don't, we don't actually know. We don't actually know. We, we're not told that. Um, but what we do know is what David said many other times. David, a lot of the Psalms are attributed to David. David was not just a, a king. He, he was multifaceted, multi-talented. He was also a songwriter. He was a worship leader. And what we do know is what he said many other times. David talked to himself. He talked to himself a lot. And so we see in, in a psalm he wrote, Psalm 103, he says this. He says, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things. That's something that, that David said, you know, encouragement in the Lord. He's saying to the cells, let, let me not forget God. Let me not forget his blessings. Let me not forget what he's done for me. Let me not forget those, those things that are precious and good and then he says in verse 8, something that probably you've heard or you've sung before if you've been in church before. And I want us to say this together from Psalm 103, verse 8. He says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Abounding in love. Have you heard that before? Like in some way, shape, or form? Um, are, you know, are you sure? Are you sure? Because there's another psalm where that comes up. Psalm 86, 15 where David says, but you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He said it there, too. Well, what about another psalm? Uh, interesting, Psalm 145, verse 8, he says this. David says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. So evidently, David either wasn't creative or original or he was plagiarizing, right? Along. He said the same thing over and over and over again. Um, but guess what? He wasn't the first to say it either. He actually took it from Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, when God is speaking to Moses. And that's how God is communicating. See, it's interesting. David, he took these words into his heart, and that was what he meditated on. He had it in his heart and ready. And when this, this horrible situation came up, when this, this situation that was a worst day of probably of one of the worst days of his life, that was what he came to, encouraged himself. See, I think, friends, one of the greatest tools that we have to combat negativity is to start acting like a, a cow. You got to act like a cow. And you're like, what? Well, maybe you're one of those that eats more chicken. I don't know if that's you. Or you go to the, the you know, you're a veggie person. We love our veggie people, by the way. Um, but, but think about that. What does a cow do? What does a cow do? Chews, right? Ruminates. Ruminates. What does a cow do? Gets a mouthful. You know, you can go not too far from here. You can watch cows all day. A cow gets a mouthful of grass, right? Chews it, swallows, and then what happens? This is the gross part that all your kids really love. It throws it up, right? Throws it up. And then they, what do they do again? Chews, swallows, and throws up. It's like all that whole thing, you know. And why? Why does a cow do that? 
to get every little bit of nutrition from it, again and again to chew. Uh, And this is interesting. The same Hebrew word in the Old Testament scriptures that's translated as meditate is also translated as ruminate. Translated of of meditate equals ruminate, the chewing on. And and I think just making that parallel over and over uh, to remind ourselves to ruminate, to chew on what is good to chew on what is good, to chew on God's word. David did it again and again and again. Those practices, the the supportive people around you. Once again, you are what you think. You you lead in the direction that you think. And and I think along those lines too, maybe there's a part of that that if you're kind of drowning in negative thoughts, maybe you need a negativity fast. You know, going back to the ruminate the chewing thing, maybe you need to fast from certain things to shut off or restrict some news, you know, because I hate to tell you this, but the algorithm's got you nailed. It knows exactly what you've been clicking, (laughs) you know, and maybe it's time to just turn those things off for a while. Or or maybe for, for, for you, maybe it's the people you're around, honestly, that it's your friends. All you do is maybe when you get together, all you do is have a hate fest and you know it. You just talk about all the negative things and then somebody brings up one thing and then what do you do? You try to one-up it, right? Maybe you need a break from that. But, but also to examine yourself too that maybe it's you. Maybe, maybe people have been distancing themselves from you because what all you do is share what's negative, to just examine that. Maybe there are other things to find. Maybe there are hobbies to be a part of, to find some good. Maybe to begin serving and to begin finding other things to talk about than what's wrong with the world and wrong with everybody else. And why, friends? Because your thoughts have incredible power. Thoughts have incredible power. And you have incredible power over your thoughts. And going back to what Paul reminds us, verse 6, Romans chapter 8, the mind is governed by the flesh of death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And it's possible, with God's help seeking him, it's possible to retrain ourselves. It does require some work on our parts, but it also requires opening ourselves to his work in our lives and in our spirits. And so um, as I close and as we, as we go to the table this morning, um, what I want to do is, um, is revisit those four categories of kind of negativity that I mentioned earlier. And, um, and in your worship guide, if you have one physically here, um, also online, um, we didn't post that, but we will, um, I actually have um, a couple of prayers that are written down. And um, the reason, I just want to give, that, give these prayers to you, um, but these are prayers to ruminate on. To insert in your mind, if you wrestle with a certain kind of negativity, to go to that prayer, to seek God's help, not just try harder and do it, but to seek his help, to seek the spirit, to transform you from the inside out. So as we approach the table, I want to just pray these prayers. Um, you can just close your eyes if you, if you so choose. Like I said, it's on that piece of paper. You can take that home and read that later. But just to absorb this, to go to the Lord with those negative thoughts. And so I just want to pray for us now. Lord Jesus, Lord, our world is filled with so much negativity and it's easy to get sucked into it. It's easy to be addicted to it and easy to find ourselves um, spreading it, Lord. Um, But Lord, I just pray for your help today to help us, that we're seeking you as our helper um, to, to change those things, Lord, that we know that you have good and right and just steps for us to take, Lord, that we would be a part of um, the great story that you are, are writing, Lord. And so I just want to pray today, Lord, first um, 
Those of us here that are, are wrestling with cynicism, Lord, relational cynicism, um, Lord, with your help, God, um, I pray I will get rid of all bitterness and skepticism, and I choose to believe the best about others. I choose to be kind, compassionate, and loving as you have loved me, and I'll love and forgive others as Jesus has loved and forgiven me. And for those of us that really wrestle with negative filtering. God, by your power, I take every thought captive and make it obedient to the truth of Christ. And because you are good, I choose to think on what's good. I choose to think on what's right and true and helpful and worthy of praise. And as I trust you, your peace will guard my heart, soul, and mind. And those of us with absolute thinking, I pray, Jesus is, as Jesus has loved and accepted me, I will love and accept others. Rather than always being right, I'm called to always be loving. Rather than just making a point, I choose to make a difference. In humility, I choose to love others above myself. And those that wrestle with blaming, Lord God, you've given me a life and a mind of my own. By God's grace, I'll own my choices and choose God's best for me. I believe I've been given everything I need to accomplish everything God wants me to do today. In Christ, I will overcome. Lord Jesus, help us with these things as we turn to you, as we come to receive your grace, as Lord, as we, your people admit and recognize our brokenness and our failures, Lord, Lord, but help us to keep our eyes on you, on your goodness, on your grace, on your love. And Lord, so as we prepare to come to the table today, Lord, we remember all that you have done all that you are doing, and we look to the future of how, once again, that story is complete and the promises you have made, Lord, um, of your kingdom come and your will be done. And so we share in that very prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.